Tessa Hunkin trained and worked as an architect until 1989 when she joined forces with Emma Biggs at the recently founded Mosaic Workshop in Holloway, London. The workshop undertook a range of commissions for public and private clients, including Terence Conran, Baby Spice, The Sultan of Oman, and Aston Villa Football Club. Tessa has also worked on a series of high-profile commissions at Westminster Cathedral, London Zoo, and has together with Emma written many books about the art of mosaic making. Significantly, Tessa also teaches at Mosaic Workshop, an organisation in Westminster that helps people recovering from mental health problems to participate in the craft. Tessa has shown that it's possible to produce mosaics of the highest quality, all the while contributing to the well-being of the group of young adults. Just as mosaics are made up of thousands of pieces of different shapes and colours, so too can they be assembled by many hands and many individuals, each leaving their own mark. In 2011, Tessa set up her own project in Hackney, working with people recovering from addictions and mental health issues. This has been so successful and has produced wonderful public arts in Hackney and beyond. Mosaics have been leaving legacies for thousands of years, and Tessa, through her wonderful work, is leaving her legacy too. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Before we meet this week's wonderful guest, here's a little something for you. If you're a fan of the show and would like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash Your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, today brings me to pretty much the heart of uh, sunny Hoburn, and I'm, it is pretty sunny out there today. It's a bit chilly today. We're in um, November, and I'm delighted to say today's guest is the wonderful Tessa Hunkin. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly. Yes. Yes, I, you, you've actually got a more straightforward name of some of my guests. I <laughs> always ask them at the beginning of the episode of the show to if I've got their name correctly, but... Um, because I've made some horrible faux pas before. <laughs> and this, mine's a bit of an awkward name, Lazarus. So uh, Hunkin is fairly straight. In fact, what's the derivative? Where does Hunkin come from? It's a Cornish name. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, in the village of Mevagissi in Cornwall, I'm told that the churchyard is practically all Hunkins. So it was a strong Cornish tradition. Okay. And, um, my grandfather actually was Bishop of Truro. So we were Cornish oh. men until... Quite recently, but Very elite. I've only been there twice <laughs> in my whole life, so I've abandoned my heritage Oh, fantastic. There. It's not a name I think I've ever come across before. No, there, there are a few of us, and obviously there are some in America, uh-huh. and, but yeah, no, we're quite an elite band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not keen to do these uh, tracing of family trees and things that are going around at the moment? Well... Because um, you probably have a fantastic heritage, I would imagine. Well, I don't know. It's mostly just Cornish fishermen, I uh-huh. think. I mean, I don't know why I say just, but, yeah. you know, they're not sort of, um, I don't think there's much written about them or anything. Uh-huh. And they weren't they weren't very grand or anything. So, um, yeah, you, it's, you it's nice to know you that we know. were seafaring. And I, you know, I always enjoy a boat trip. So uh-huh. I, I think that's part of my my Cornish legacy. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, there you go. I've learned something already. Well, as I say, I'm delighted to welcome uh, Tessa Hunkin onto today's podcast episode. Tessa is, uh, I think it's fair to say, an award-winning 
I don't know if you're award-winning for your architect work or for your mosaic work, your art in general, but your... Uh, for the mosaic. For the mosaic yeah. work. Yeah. So that's what you're really known for, I would imagine. Indeed, so you're yes. award-winning mosaic. You do work in the community. You do commissions for private and public uh, bodies. You're an author. So you told me you didn't, you didn't think you had a story. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a story already. <laughs> so it's, it's a, a treat to be here, actually, because, as I say, we're in your, your home, but we're on the top floor of your home, um, which is your workshop stroke studio, I guess. It is, yes. Yes, I do. So what uh, goes on here? A fair amount of work here. I do all my designing here, which I do combination of hand drawing. I'm mm. still old school, but... Then I, I work with the computer as well. So I suppose I'm of a generation that started off working by hand and then computers came in and I've, I have a sort of hybrid way of working. When you're designing things like mosaics, enormous amount of work goes into the making of the mosaic. It takes a really long time to make a mosaic. It's a very slow process. So it's very important that you've got the design right or else you're going to be wasting your time, all that time mm. in the making. And you want to be fairly certain it's right at the beginning. So it's nice to be able to play around with different ideas, change your mind, try out different things. And the computer is really good for that. You can change the colorways quite quickly and you can even move things around a little bit and alter the composition. And uh, yeah, so that's, um, that's a very important part of the process. And I've always loved drawing and as I, I think you mentioned, I started off as an architect. And so I have, you know, I've, I've been drawing all my life. So I, I really enjoy that part of it. We'll come on to the mosaic bit in a minute. But mm. it's just interesting that you say you work, you sort of like a hybrid of the old old school methodology and modern day techniques using mm. computers. And obviously, I mean, mosaics, as I understand, it's been um, an art form for many thousands of years. And no, they obviously didn't have access to computers. So that makes it all the more incredible that some of the pieces of work that, you know, that have been discovered are so, are so incredible. Well, yes. I mean, there's, there's very, very little information about how the ancient mosaics were made. Back in the day, those kinds of things weren't considered important. I mean, the kinds of books that I've written um, which are all about how to make mosaics. You know, they're kind of project books, and it goes right. into unbelievable detail about cement-based adhesives and tile nippers. <laughs> I can't tell you how many sentences <laughs> I've written about cement-based adhesives. Um, but the Romans never wrote any of that down, even though they wrote down a lot of things. And the Byzantines even less. Uh -huh. So there's, there's no written evidence about, about how they were made, how they were designed, who made them, who designed them. There's a lot of um, controversy, and there has been in the 20th century, about whether mosaics were better if they were made by the people who designed them, or whether it was okay to have two separate skill sets, the designers and the makers. And people used to say that in the ancient days, obviously it was, you know, they were artist designers and they, they did the painting and then they set the stones. But they were just making it up, really. Nobody knows. But presumably the, the ancient, they go back to Roman times, and even before Roman times, I understand, they were Greek-Greek. Yeah. They, they were commissioned by, presumably, wealthy people or, or public bodies. Indeed, yes. Mosaic has uh, traditionally always been associated with power. Mm. Only the wealthy could afford them, so they were status symbols. It's not completely true about the Romans, actually. I should just clarify that, because 
the thing that was most difficult for the Romans to do was to get um, was to quarry large slabs of marble because it, they would tend to break in the process. So the really, really grand rooms just had huge pieces of marble on the floor. And mosaic was the waste product from those large slabs. Uh-huh. So you do find Roman floors in Pompeii and, and all over the place, which is sort of looks a bit more like terrazzo or something, just random little chips of, of, of stone. So it's a kind of mosaic, but it's also kind of their version of lino. Mm. It was the, right. the, the quickest and cheapest and simplest thing to put down. So um, it, it's always had, a, you know, a slightly more normal history, but the, it, it has also been associated with emperors and the very wealthy, the giant villas, even in this country, Fishbourne, it's a huge villa um, with magnificent Roman pavements that can still be seen today. Mm. And I think, is there not one in, is it Verulanium in St. Albans? Right? St. Albans, yeah. yes. I mean, there are various ones, Lullingstone in Kent. Uh-huh. Um, and there are some further north as well, there's some in York and yeah. Yeah. So as I said at the beginning, your background started off in architecture. Yes. So how did you make, and why did you make that decision to sort of move across, pivot, as we say nowadays, pivot over towards this art form? Well, as I said, I'd always enjoyed drawing, but... I was never terribly interested in buildings, so that was a bit of a snag, being an architect and not really. They were all straight lines and not very much colour, and they're not very dynamic. You can't introduce movement or vitality. So I felt I was kind of missing out on something. I suppose colour was the thing I missed most. And um, early in my career, I worked on a building called the Ismaili Centre, which is opposite the Victoria and Albert Museum. And it's a funny-looking building uh, built for the Aga Khan, but he had very deep pockets, and he um, it has beautiful finishes and materials. The windows are made of teak, inset with um, stainless steel, and there's a prayer hall inside that has purpose-made ceramics, beautiful patterned ceramics, sort of slightly Moroccan influence. It has carved teak screens. I mean, it was just full of all these beautiful things. But as an architect, we didn't get to design those. That was uh, farmed out to a specialist. And I thought, hmm, I'm in the wrong job here. Uh, I need a, a specialism that involves color and form and all the things and decoration. I'm a bit, you know a bit of a throwback. I've always liked the arts and crafts movement and the things that I love walking around the city of London are the odd little bits of decoration you see on all the buildings and contemporary architecture didn't allow very much scope for that. But mosaic is, you know, traditionally an architectural medium. Uh, It's a decorative thing. And coincidentally, a friend of mine had just started trying to build a business um, by making mosaics. And so um, she kindly suggested that I should come and have a go as well. And I think my experience as an architect was quite useful um, because I, you know, I could read the architect's drawings and, and all that kind of thing. And so I gave it a go and that was over 30 years ago and I'm still doing it. And you've not looked back since. <laughs> so what, what is it about creating a mosaic from start to finish that gives you the most pleasure you personally i'm not i'm talking about you rather than we'll we'll broaden out in a bit to (laughs) to the work you do with with others but for you personally well i suppose again because of my background 
I like large mosaics. That's what I really like. I like the inter- the site specific quality of a large mosaic, so that you you design something that works in its setting, that responds to its placing, the distance away that people are going to see it, so that it has an impact, so that it doesn't fight against its setting, so that it seems harmonious. And I've found over the course of my career that often when we install a mosaic, people don't realize it's just been installed. Um, They say, oh, I never realized that was there. Have you been restoring it? And it's because it fits in. It looks as if it was always there. And that's a success. I mean, it's a little bit galling because you want people to say, oh, that's lovely and it's new and, and well done. Instead, they just think we've cleaned something yeah. that was always there. Now, but, I don't know if it's because I was meeting you today. And you, you know, when you, you, you're talking of a subject, you suddenly tune in to different things. Well, I was walking up the um, on the tube, Tottenham Court Road to yes. um, Hoban, mm. down the, the passageway. And there's, a, there's one on the right-hand side, a, a lovely mirror. I've never noticed it before, but... I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it looks to me brand new and it completely changes the dynamic of the whole tunnel, which is otherwise just white ceramic tiles. Yeah, yeah. And it looks lovely. Yeah. What do you call a large mosaic? Because obviously I've seen some of the scale of some of the ones you do, community ones, but I mean, give give us some idea of the scale. Well, um, I mean, I suppose the largest mosaics I've been involved in, uh, are we did a, an entire chapel in Westminster Cathedral, which um, is quite a large area. Westminster Cathedral is a very large building and the chapels, in comparison to the nave, the chapels look quite small, but let me tell you, they're not. When you're actually trying to cover them in mosaic, it seems interminable, it goes on forever. But um, Odin and I, I can't remember the exact uh, square meterage of it, but it's, um, it's pretty big. We also did one for Aston Villa Football Club, which you sometimes see on Match of the Day. Uh-huh. It was to recreate an old Victorian mosaic on because they were very proud of the Holt End, their yes. big stand. Uh-huh. I've stood there. You stood there. <laughs> I okay. had as an away fair many moons ago. <laughs> okay, back then they they had a new American owner. Randy. Yes, he's Ron Ellis, not not Ellis. No, no, Randy. No, yes, his name escapes me. His name escapes not me Lerner, as well. No. Yes. Was it Randy Lerner? I think it was Randy Lerner. Lerner. Yes, well yeah. done. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Um, and in order to win the, the favour of the Villa fans, he decided to splash out and recreate the original mosaic. Because that, that's what all Villa fans wanted, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think they like it. I don't know. I'm sure know. they do. Um, yeah, and that was big. That was, I don't know, 60 square metres uh-huh. or something. Yeah. So what was that of? Was that their crest? Or there was, yes, it was yeah. just a copy of what had been there before. And it says, there's the crest in the middle. And then with great imagination, it says Aston Villa. But, hugely creative <laughs> yeah yeah well, i suppose there's what, a roman feel to that with the word villa in there I as well so. yeah, yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> i'm wondering if there's a football theme there as well because i, I believe that the the former arsenal manager george graham had the arsenal logo motif on the um the pool of his swimming pool as a mosaic oh, i really? think i could be horribly wrong but i believe i believe he did mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. So there you go. Oh, that's a good <laughs> but you've, been, you've, you've had some famous commissions as well, haven't you? Or people, famous people commission you as well. I mean, obviously Westminster Cathedral is is a pretty stunning commission to have. Yes, that will elevate yes. your status as a. What do you call yourself, mosaicist? Mosaicist. Mosaicist. Yes, I mean that that was a very um, that was a very fascinating job yeah. to get, and uh, kind of yeah. There's not a huge demand for mosaic. It has to be said, but Westminster Cathedral. 
uh, is sort of the center of mosaic in London, I suppose. There's a little bit of competition because the National Gallery has some of the most fantastic mosaics on the floor. Mm-hmm. Everybody co- goes to the National Gallery to look at the paintings. But I highly recommend looking at the floors because they are the best mosaics in London, without any doubt. But Westminster Cathedral has more. It has a huge quantity. And, of course, they're all wall mosaics, so there's lots of gold. And so they glitter and glimmer. And, yes, that's always very nice. And because that's the great privilege of working for the cathedral, you get to work with gold mosaic, which is very, very expensive. It's real gold. It's gold leaf. Um, handmade, still made in Italy in exactly the same way that it was made in Roman times. No progress there, no innovation, just exactly the same thing. Consequently, very, very expensive. Um, And the thing about gold mosaic is that to make it glitter and glimmer, it doesn't work if it's laid very flat. It needs to all be at slightly different angles so that it will catch light coming from... So it works very well in dark spaces. It works in a way that no other material would. It it has a kind of magical quality. It, It gathers light to it. And the only way to achieve that effect is to do it in situ, piece by piece. So I and my assistant spent many hours in the cathedral hand hand fixing tiny fragments of gold in exactly the same way that people have been doing it since well since early early christian times anyway so it was extraordinary it sounds incredible Mm. so so the gold leaf that you're using Mm. is that for want of a better word adhered to the wall covering itself or is it onto pieces of of mosaic i don't know ceramic for example um it's stuck to glass. It, um, the ones uh, often a green glass backing, or sometimes um, an opaque red glass backing. Then the gold leaf is on top of that, and then on top of that, there's a very very fine layer of clear glass, which and it's all the the glass with the gold leaf on it, and the clear glass on top is sent back into the oven and fired onto it. And this is a very difficult process. If you get, if the oven is too hot, the gold burns and you've got no gold. And if it isn't hot enough, the glass doesn't fuse properly and the gold leaf is not protected. So it's a very, very skilled thing. And then also working with glass, well, this is true of all glass work, has to be cooled down very gradually or else it will crack. As we know, glass is very brittle. Uh, so yes, it's a very it's a very skilled thing. Sounds and amazing, and, and I can't imagine there's too many specialists. So once you've done your work and sent it off to be, I don't know, fired or whatever, in in by these people who put well, it they in the make, ovens. No, they, the, all of that process is done in Italy, right? So you have um, to you do your bit and then it's sent off. No, 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 done? no. We buy the we buy the little pieces uh-huh. made already made, right? And then we just stick them laboriously. Sounds amazing. So what are the images the of in Westminster Cathedral? Um, the chapels that we did, we the big chapel is St. Joseph's Chapel. Um, I have to say they were all designed by others. I haven't done any design work in the cathedral. That's a whole other saga of how, how to get designs through a truly Byzantine process of selection there. You can imagine all the different bodies that have to be satisfied. So St. Joseph's was designed by a film designer, actually, called Christopher Hobbs. And uh, on one side, there's the Holy Family, 
in an apse, so that's on a curved surface. That's what makes life a little bit more difficult. Above them, there's um, a bird. We used to call it the Holy Goose, slightly irrelevantly, but it's come sort of dive bombing <laughs> the, the Holy <laughs> Family. And then there's um, on the opposite side are the carpenters. I can't remember how many of them there are. I think six or seven um, enormous figures. Again, the scale of these figures. It was it was amazing fun. It was like making giants, you know. In the workshop, they just looked so huge. Now they're on the wall in the cathedral. They look they look big-ish, but in the workshop, they were just like vast. And they're they're building the the cathedral. Uh, the cathedral uh -huh. is in the background. Ah, uh, wonderful! And then we did the vault as well, which is a sort of wicker work. So design. that must have kept you busy for what a few years, I'm uh, guessing. Couple of years. Couple of years. Couple yeah. of years, yes. What a wonderful commission. How on earth do you get that sort of commission? Do you have to go through some sort of beauty parade or do they just say, we want Tessa? Again, it's one of the joys of working for the Roman Catholic Church is that it's not entirely a modern corporation by any means. And so everything is slightly haphazard. And But there aren't very many mosaicists around. There isn't a lot, you know, there aren't a lot of people who do it. And... In the past, um, they'd struggled to find anybody in this country who would take on jobs of this size. And so they had um, very traditionally, I mean, a lot of mosaic is still made in Italy. The, the Italians are the mosaicists of the world. They, because of the diaspora of, in the 19th century, they traveled to America, uh, all over Europe and set up mosaic companies. And when Emma and I started doing mosaic in London, those they, mosaic was still in the hands of the Italians, really. But by then they were old men and their children had found more profitable things to do. And so they were all going out of business. So did you learn as like an apprentice under some of the Italian No, because they, um, being it, old Italian men, thought it was completely impossible that women could ever do it. So they they were very suspicious of us. They were sweet, but they were, they didn't really take us seriously. But we weren't to, going to be put off by that. So we just taught ourselves. Uh -huh. And did you go over to Italy to study some of the, the, the works well, there? Well, yes. I mean, yeah. I, we'd we'd already seen quite a lot of stuff. I mean, because I'd been traveling around looking at buildings as an architect, sure. you know. And so we we had a few ideas, but it was it was mostly trial and error, and there were a lot of errors. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I yeah. bet. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So in addition to these large, I mean, you've also done like London Zoo, for example, which is an amazing one. Was that part of a project or was that a specific commission from, from the zoo? That came about as part of um, the work that I've been doing more recently with the Hackney Mosaic Okay, so project. Let, let's, let's, let's talk about that. How did, how did that start off? This is your work, let's call it community work. Well, it's, yes, I mean, it's, it is my life now, the uh -huh. Hackney Mosaic project. It's kind of taken over my life, which uh, I wasn't <laughs> expecting. But um, yes, I, I, I don't know, I, I like it, mostly. <laughs> Obviously, like anything, it has yeah. good days and bad days. And it and it you know it wasn't something that I I planned entirely. It started off as a six month project back in 2011, and I'm still there. The idea came uh, had been gestating with me for a long time, really. 
I suppose one of the reasons why I gave up architecture and, and started doing mosaic was because I like working with my hands. I like drawing, but I like making things as well. And I've always done that. My brother, too, is a sort of fanatical maker. And um, I felt that, you know, I was in a privileged position that I could, I could pursue that, that kind of activity because in the modern world, there aren't very many manual occupations. Um, you know, the world used to be full of, of things that you could do with great skill that involved thinking with your hands, you know, tailoring or carpentry or make furniture making. And all these things have kind of withered away and gone. And I had a sort of feeling that I knew they were important to me. And I thought, well, perhaps it is, you know, an important human activity. And I, I thought perhaps it was a bit like, you know, what sport has become. Sport is sort of left over from the days when we used to have to run after animals and hunt them. And it's sort of written into our makeup. I mean, I personally, I hate sport. People are different. But it, it is a sort of human thing to enjoy running around and yeah, being physical. Being active. And being active. And it, and it helps with your mental health. And I have a feeling that for some people, working with your hands can have the same effect it grounds you it's a material thing it, it's it's physical and it um and it's satisfying and you know making something and looking at it after you've made it gives you a, a kind of satisfaction that it's quite hard to find in life in in many ways i mean i think cooking is like that for a lot of people um and and that has become very very popular but when you cook something, you eat it, and then it's gone. It's not there anymore. So I could never see the point of that. Couldn't see the point of sport. Um, so that just left me with, with making things. And so I, I wondered whether there was a connection between mental calm and, and the activity of making. And when, um, when we, we were working on the cathedral, we also, uh, Mosaic Workshop had a shop which still goes on, and people used to come and buy materials from us. And one group came who um, run by a lovely woman called Susie Bellage, who um, were, it was a, a mental health project and she was making mosaics with people who uh, were in recovery from mental health problems. And, um, and I was fascinated by that and I got to know Susie a bit and she wanted to have a year off. So I stood in for her and took her class um, over in Westminster. And that sort of got me, got me into the idea and I thought that there was, there was something in it. There was a kind of resource there. Uh, another thing was that these people, they couldn't work. They weren't well enough to work. And time was a problem for them. They had too much time. Whereas I was working away as a commercial mosaicist, I never had enough time, you know, and I would make shortcuts in the work and make it not quite as good as it might be because it had to be finished. And I thought, well, you... People in recovery have an asset that they're not that they don't know how to use, and I wanted to make them realise that that asset was a valuable thing, and that therefore they still had a lot to contribute. And so I wanted to get them to do commissions, public commissions, to make things for public spaces, so people could see the contribution that they were making, and then that helps self-esteem because then you know the public are looking at them not because they are to be pitied or there's something wrong with them but because they've done something beautiful and they've helped make the city more beautiful and from that idea um i thought i would i would try and set up my own project and i linked it to the olympics this was 
around about uh, 2010, I suppose, I had uh, I decided I would take it forward. And I hawked the idea around, and the borough of Hackney had a little bit of Olympic money. They bought the idea for a six-month project um, to do a Roman-style mosaic of the seasons in Shepherdess Walk Park. And the idea of that was that it would look a little bit like a Roman mosaic, but if you look closely, it, it was clearly in the modern world, and there were people with iPods and there's a woman on on a mobile phone looking back at it now it has one of those little stubby aerials you know as mobile phones used to have so it's already you know documenting the time it's already a specific moment in time so how many people were involved in in that creation there was a team of about well actually it's got um when we finished the walls everybody wanted to keep going so one of the things we did was to make panels with everybody's names on oh, wonderful. it so the, they're all recorded there i think there's over 20 names maybe between 20 and 30 names on that one it's wonderful because it gives them whilst they're doing this stuff this work because it is work, isn't it? It's, it's, it's it pleasure, is. but it's work and yeah. it's art. So they're working as a team. Absolutely, yes. They're working individually because the pieces are relatively small, you know. Mm. So they've got, they're testing their fine motor skills, I suppose yeah. you would say. Yeah. They're working, so they've got color, they've got, you know, specific things, that tasks they've got to do, but they've got to work in harmony with everybody else whilst under your guidance. Mm. And then they can see the finished product at yeah. the end yeah. and then to see their names alongside that as well must give them a huge sense of achievement. I think it does, yes. And I think, you know, some of the people who started the project there, two or three of them are still with me now, Mm. uh, whatever it is, eight years later. And so it's meant a lot to them. Others have come and gone. I think probably when I started, I, I overestimated the healing power of mosaic. I don't think it will, I don't think it can cure people. But, um, it's something and it's something to look back on and they can they can always see that they're what I think it gives them a good moment in their lives and then there's something to show for it and they can go back and see that it was there and see that they did something once and maybe then that helps them because again. it can elevate them to another level because if they're not well for whatever reason you know mental health issues as you say they've got so much time on their hands mm. with a lot of these these people and they just don't know how to fill it so it, it doesn't raise them up out of their level of you know present awareness shall we say yeah so to do this is is such a wonderful thing not in a religious sense but in a spiritual sense as well to to, to lift their spirits yeah yeah um, and and, and, and say, it's not going to cure them but it's going to make them feel good about themselves yeah. if not for a short while yeah well that, that's the idea and on a, on a more kind of prosaic level it also it creates a little community it, it's quite sociable it, you know, everybody has a pretty jolly time, really, the, the sessions. You would think it was all rather sort of quiet and monastic, but in fact, it gets incredibly noisy <laughs> and everybody has a right old laugh. So how many and, people do you have working at the same time on, on a project? Is it around a, a big work table or floor or how, how is it? Um, everybody can work comfortably at a table. I have, uh, to begin with, I was working with a group of people in recovery, primarily from addiction problems, addiction and mental health problems. But I didn't like it being defined by the problems that people had. So I decided it would just be open to anybody. And so um, it's a very mixed collection of people. I've got some people with physical problems, people who don't walk too well, older people. Um, And so it's important that it should be um, 
easy physically as as easy as possible so everybody can sit at a table I, I divide up the work into small sections so everybody has their own piece and we're very fortunate to have a lovely warm building and there's always loads of tea and biscuits and uh, this is in Hackney this is in our studio in the middle of Hackney Downs and the park is just outside so it's very calming nice location and it brings people together and they make new friends they've they're very supportive to each other. They can help each other far more than I can help them. I don't have that kind of experience. But it's great to see them kind of looking after each other, looking out for each other. I mean, they fight sometimes. That's <laughs> That also happens. But if there's a crisis, if anybody's in trouble, they they pull together and, and support them. And that's are a great in, thing to see. Are you, in theory, in charge of them all whilst, whilst they're there? Do you have a care or someone with them all the time? No, no, it's it's just me. Just I mean, you, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're not. <laughs> no, I know, but they as you say, sometimes, you know, tempers can get heated and people can get upset, for example. I, I, well, I, that, I don't that's know. right, yeah. yes. But I can be quite bossy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> now, Hackney Downs, I have to put this in now because my dad will probably be listening. Hackney Downs, my dad used to go to school at Hackney Downs. Oh, really? There was a school called Hackney Downs. I think it's changed the name now. Yes, it's a Mossbourne. Uh, that's it. And I mm. think I, many years ago, I had to go, and, well, a few years ago, rather, I had to go and see the, the school there for my day job, insurance claim. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, but he used to have to walk across the downs every day to and from school, from, from home to school. Mm. And he doesn't have great memories of it. He said it was a bit of a bit of a dump in those days. I mean, Indeed, I'm going, I'm going yes. back to the, oh, I don't want to be polite to him, you know, 40s, I would say. <laughs> but I would imagine your lovely artwork and mosaics have sort of brightened it up a bit. Well, I mean, Hackney has has changed and changes still, you know, from month to month. It's probably one of the fastest changing bits of London. It's extraordinary. Yes, when when I when we first moved to there, we started off somewhere else. We moved to Hackney Downs in 2014. And people did say dark things about, you know, you don't want to be there after dark mm -hmm. and, and all that kind of thing. But I think by then, in fact, the change had already happened. And uh, now I stay there happily on my own after dark and the only danger of walking out is being run over by an overkeen jogger you know? <laughs> <laughs> there are loads of people running around or lots cyclist. of cyclists yeah. lots of yeah yeah and so yeah but it, uh, that's another challenge that i i don't know i i wanted the mosaic project to try and help with is that Hackney is now quite a divided place there are these two very different communities uh, the newcomers you know, who are relatively wealthy, a lot of them quite young, and old Hackney who live on the estates and who now can't afford a cup of coffee. And it's quite difficult to find any common ground between those two groups. But making the mosaics, um, we were we were given the space on the downs in order to make a mosaic for the shelter in the children's playground, which was in a very poor state. It had been painted, but all the paint was peeling away. And um, it looked awful. So um, it was a lovely job to get because it's a sort of three-sided structure. So there were um, three walls to do. And because it was in the children's playground, I thought I could get away with doing more exotic animals. It didn't have to be completely about London we do a lot of London wildlife because that's popular and I love London wildlife that's great but it was lovely to have the opportunity to do elephants and crocodiles and <laughs> more exotic things so um, that's what we were making in Hackney Downs and I opened it up to the local community and 
we did get people, we got new Hackney, old Hackney, middle Hackney, all kinds of people came together. People came with their children and we had Team Camel, which was a mother and her son made made the camel. And one of the volunteers um, was a, a man who had um, recently retired um, but had been head of con- conservation at the British Museum. Oh, how wonderful. So he knew a lot about sure. mosaics. And you had a very special guest, I believe, to open the... Uh, Indeed, uh, yes. Open yes. it for you. We, uh, Russell Brand. Russell came Brand, and, and yeah. Opened it, yeah. And he must have pulled a few people along as well. <laughs> no, it's good, of it. it's good of him to turn up. He's, he's, because obviously he's had his own problems, hasn't he, as well, exactly. with addiction and so on yes, and so forth. Yeah. So he so, could see the benefits of yeah. what you were doing there in the community. Yeah. No, it was nice of him yeah. to come. So what other projects have you done apart from the one in Hackney? Um, well, having done the wild animals in the shelter there, uh, somebody from London Zoo saw the wild animals and they were working on the land of the lions, the new uh, enclosure for the Asiatic lions. And so we got a commission to make a mosaic for them, uh, for the land of the lions. And then this year they gave us another commission for two panels either side of the main entrance and they're on the outside of the zoo so anybody can see them you don't have to cough up the eye-watering 30 quid or whatever it is to go inside Mm. although it's money well spent i'm not knocking the zoo it's a great place but yeah it's it's nice that our mosaics are on the outside so this is the work you've done with with the project Project. Uh, we did i did well there are two panels there are the penguins and the monkeys and the penguins I did at the project and the monkeys I made here. Right. It was rather a tight schedule. Uh-huh. So, it was, so you had to get cracking <laughs> with it. to get cracking, yeah. yeah. And what about the one you did at this, this nursery, this special commemorative nursery? Con- is it Constam Nursery? Oh, yes, the Constam. Yes, um, that was one that I did that wasn't done with the project. Right. And that's that's a bit tucked away. I like the ones that, you know, are part of the fabric of the city that mm-hmm. anybody can see. Because then it's, you know, it's like the things that I like when I'm wandering around. I want to put in little odd things that people will stumble across and say, ooh, I wonder why that's there. <laughs> Must give you a great sense of uh, achievement and satisfaction and some pride, I would imagine, as well, when you see your artwork mosaics around London. Yes, so long as they're, you know, looking okay. <laughs> Are they, they're presumably they're quite easy to maintain, so long as they're not sort of um, vandalised. they've been absolutely fine. Um, we did one next to the Sainsbury's on Old Street of the Hoxton varieties. Uh, this was one I did with the project, because Hoxton used to be a great centre of music hall. You know, Shoreditch is still a great mm. place of entertainment, mm. but it used to be the old music halls and things. And so this mosaic shows um, a troupe of acrobats and performing dogs. Unfortunately, it's on a Sainsbury's, so it's next to a photograph of a giant loaf of bread. (laughs) And it it struggles rather in competition with the loaf of bread. Um, But so, yes, it's not the best site for it. And recently that was graffitied and I've spent a few days laboriously scrubbing away so you take great offense at that presumably and go down with a bucket and a brush yeah 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 yeah. but i mean that's that's a good thing about mosaic it's very durable you can clean it yes yeah yeah are these all primarily made out of some form of ceramic the ones yes yeah Yeah. ceramic and glass those are the two two materials so what are you presently working on what's the big projects you've got on the um what are we doing at the moment we've got a few little ones we're making a sign for the river lee navigation uh, which is the the canal that runs mm-hmm. parallel to the River Lee, and it just says what it is. It says yeah. River Lee. Nav- so, who's, what's that? The local authority commissioned you for that? Or the- um, 
plastic-free Hackney. Okay. They raised some money and they uh, thought it would be nice to have a mosaic. So okay, good. They're getting a mosaic. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good one. We're gearing up for Christmas. We do, we sell things. Um, the members make, the members of the project also do their own work. It's not just being bossed around by me all the time. They are allowed to do whatever they want to do as well. So in our workshop, there's lots of bits of work made by them that we try to sell to raise money for the project. We have exhibitions sometimes. And at Christmas, we make more things and we go to two or three Christmas fairs and try and sell things for Christmas. Can the general public walk into your um, workshop and just take a look around? Yes, absolutely. Visitors are always welcome. Um, We're only there two days a week, Wednesday afternoons and Thursdays. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, it's been great to have you, or for you to have me rather, I should say. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guest here. And just looking around your workshop at the moment, what are we looking at? What, what have you got here on the walls? This is some fairly dubious characters you've got here <laughs> on the walls, I can see, if I'm not mistaken. Is that Assad? That's Assad. From, from Syria. Yes. Yeah. And I know that's um, an Iranian leader by the looks of it, I would say, uh, next to Ahmadinejad, yes. Okay. He actually in the... He glows in the dark Does because he? <laughs> he's got nuclear you. weapons. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mugabe. Yes. And <laughs> Thatcher. Oh, Thatcher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're putting them all in the same same box, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They well, I they, they were part of a series of tyrants that I made at some point. <laughs> okay. It's not the complete series anymore. No. <laughs> the ever-growing list. Yeah, <laughs> yes. okay. We're, we're not a political a we're not more. a political podcast, so we're not going to go there. But, <laughs> but the, these these ones you made for yourself presumably just for a bit, yeah. of, a bit of fun, yeah, I yeah. guess, yeah. yeah. Or to make a point. So is this where we're sitting now where all the ideas are generated when you try out things and I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I usually try and make samples um endless samples of things to test the colors and the grout and things so there's a little one there of a, a monkey and a penguin which was the uh-huh. sample for the yeah. recent london yeah. zoo mosaic my wife would be very jealous of this space because you've got such lovely natural light haven't you this huge window on the front here yeah you've got windows there at the back and that both at the back here so you've got this lovely sun. we've actually got sun streaming through remarkable mm. actually we should have we should have been silent for an hour at 11 11 o'clock shouldn't we Let's have a moment silence now. No, it doesn't work on, on, on podcasts. But I was just thinking, because this morning when I turned on the, the breakfast news, they were they had the um, Arboretum in, is it Staffordshire, I think, where they have the memorial for, yes, the, for the fallen yes, soldiers yeah. since the second, second World War. So it's only those who have fallen since the Second World War. Mm. And they've created like this gap, this where the sun can come through oh, and shaft. light, a yeah. shaft of light mm. and I don't know if there was, I hope there was sun this morning. Was it supposed to light up the um, the memorial oh, in the, the centre? Yeah, and that should have been lovely. Mm. It would have worked. Well, it's 12 o'clock now. Let's hope they had some sunshine earlier. Um, mm. Yeah, so spare a thought, everyone, for um, 11, 11 today, isn't it? 11, the 11th hour. Have a moment's uh, thought to yourself. Well, we're at that point in our conversation here with Tessa, where I ask Tessa to tell us one or two of the places in London that she's particularly keen on that are personal favorites of hers so what are your places in london tessa well i've already mentioned the national gallery because everybody goes there to look at the paintings but go and look at the floors the floors are a marble mosaic in the main entrance you go in through the trafalgar square entrance and on the all the landings there are these incredible mosaics made by 
an artist called Boris Anrep, who was a, a Russian emigre, member of the Bloomsbury Group, but they're just astonishingly clever. They have portraits of famous people of the time, Bertrand Russell, T.S. Eliot. There's a Christmas pudding. All human life is there, all made out of marble on the floor, and people just trample over it and don't look. But it is really worth... So that's at the National. That's at, at the National Gallery. That's in Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar Square. And that is free entrance, I believe. Exactly. So you can go in any time and just have yeah. a look. Wonderful. It's one of my favourite places in London to go when I've got half an hour or something to kill, just wander around there. It's just mm. wonderful. And you have another? Well, the other thing I like to do is to wander through the city of London. Surprisingly, there are lots of small gardens in the city of London. My particular favourite is the one outside the Guildhall where there is a fish pond and a little fountain. And I sometimes go there in the summer if it's been really, really hot. I think I just need to see a fountain and it's, it's the nearest fountain to where I live and it's always a very sort of peaceful and tranquil little oasis in the middle of all the new towers going up and everything it's a it's a magical place yeah it's a brilliant brilliant recommendation once again thank you ever so much and we shall add those to our ever-growing list of recommended places in London thank you well it's been an absolute pleasure and a treat to have you uh, on today's show Tessa keep up the wonderful work you do because this is your London legacy. You are in London, you're creating your own legacy and you're helping others to create and leave a legacy as well. And mosaics have been going for thousands of years. So they are a true legacy right across the generations, aren't they? I hope so, yeah. We're definitely competing with the Romans. We want to last as long as theirs did. Well, yeah. We won't be here to, to demonstrate that, I'm guessing, unless <laughs> we, we, won't know, unless we so. have eternal life or something. But um, <laughs> It would be nice that people can look back on the work you've done in generations' time and say, yeah, that, that, that was really good. Or family members from those who you've helped, you know, in the community. It'd be lovely. So before we wrap up, um, how can people find out or get in touch with you, find out on social media, for example, Instagram or Twitter or your website? Uh, yeah, we do have, um, an in we have two Instagram sites, I think. But yeah, uh, Hackney Mosaic Project probably. <laughs> uh, and we have a website, uh, www.hackneymosaic.co.uk. You've got two websites, I believe, haven't you? Like a pre and a post. You've got a .co.uk and a .com. That, I, that, those are my personal Your personal ones. ones yeah. yeah. So there's also stuff on tessahunkin.com and tessahunkin.co.uk. Both worth checking out. Yeah. Uh, Twitter account. Well, you're not terribly active Possibly. on that. Possibly. <laughs> Leave that one. I think that there's, there's enough on the websites and on Instagram where you can see all the, the images as well. It's, it's fantastic. So once again, thank you ever so much for, um, for being on the podcast. Uh, you, you thought you didn't have a story, didn't you, at the beginning? But uh, I think you did. You know, we've been yeah. going for 45 minutes. We've barely scratched the surface. So um, well done and thank you ever so much. Thank you.